I too would like to extend Christian greetings to each one here this morning. It is good to be gathered together here this morning to be under the sound of the Word. Sunday School devotional this morning has been very encouraging to me, uplifting to me. And I would like to draw our attention to the board back here. Um, I did not order that done. Blessings to whoever put that up there. Joy has not been canceled. Joy is an important part of the Christian's life. I had briefly contemplated speaking of joy this morning, but I changed it a little bit. Um, it could still have, it could still mean something of that. But the title of this morning's message is "Do Not Lose Heart." Do not lose heart. In the world we live in today, there's many reasons for a Christian to struggle with losing heart. On the world stage or in our culture, there's a huge moral shift that's going away from the ways of life based on God's Word and what He wants us to do, what He wants us to follow, to ways of life that are based on our own desires, things we want to do, things that feel good to us, things that, things that make us feel good under the pressures that we're under from the world around us. It's easy to look at that and to lose heart. In churches today, more churches are moving to being about themselves, about the people, than God. Churches are moving, they care more about filling the benches than honoring God, drawing a crowd. So for the Christian that's watching what's going on in the world, in the churches, it's easy to lose heart. And then there's our personal lives, our personal struggles, health. We do endless rounds of treatment, or in some cases, endless rounds, seems like endless rounds of visits to diagnose things that we can't figure out. We have family relations or other relations that are challenging, people making decisions that affect our lives, that are discouraging to us. Life isn't what we wanted it to be. You know, if you think back ten years and you think how you would want life to be today, many of us may have not chosen everything we have today. Some of us may have. There's a lot of reasons for us to lose heart. Many reasons around us. The condition of the world, the condition of some of our churches sometimes, and our individual lives to lose heart. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. I'm going to read this in the King James Version. And then also out of the ESV, it um, puts it in a little plainer English. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. I'll read 16 through 18. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. 
In the other translation, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The Apostle Paul here in his letter to the Corinthians. Paul says, do not lose heart. And whenever there's a, there's, a, there's a command like that or something like that given, we tend to say, well then, how do we not lose heart? We find ourselves in a challenging situation in this world. How do we not lose heart? What are the answers to not losing heart? We find the answers in those verses, verses 16 through, 16 through 18. Or we find the setup to those answers. The answers then... For, for the question is found in, in chapter 5. There's three contrasts that he uses here as kind of a headline to this before he gets to chapter 5. Why we shouldn't lose heart. The first one is, is found in verse 16. He mentions the outer self, but though our outward man perish, in verse 17 it's the present affliction for our light affliction which is but for a moment he calls it a light affliction in contrast to what to the eternal and then in verse 18 is what is seen and the opposite of what is seen is unseen the opposite of present affliction is eternal glory and the opposite of outer self is inner self that's the banner that's the headline he says those three things there the reasons for that, that we shouldn't we shouldn't lose heart. Now when you see when you see a a banner put up or a headline put up, it makes you it makes you want to know the full story. What's behind this? How do we how do we not lose heart? It raises questions. What are the un, what are the unseen things in verse eighteen, but the things which are not seen? In verse seventeen what, what is that eternal glory? What's that eternal glory look like? What are we supposed to feel? How are we supposed to feel about the eternal glory? And the inner self. How is the inner man renewed? Chapter 5, verse 1. Today's message has two headings. And the first one is a healthy dose of realism about the Christian's life on earth. In other words, there's, a, the, it, there's this, this, this saying or this phrase that we used to fling about when I, was a young, when I was a youngster, probably with the youth, maybe more of a school child. Someone did something a little stupid or a little ignorant or was showing off or just doing something that aggravated somebody else. You would say, get real. That was just something we used. I don't hear it said around anymore. Maybe, it, maybe I'm in the wrong crowd. But get real. A healthy dose of realism about the Christian's life on earth. It's important to us that we understand what we're up against. Verse 5, chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that our earthly house of this tabernacle, that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands. There's three sub 
titles under this headline. The first one is, We Live in a Tent. In the ESV chapter 5, the first verse reads like this, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. We live in a tent. It's not a battleship. It's not a fort. It's not a house. It's not some big, strong building. Our, what our soul is in on this world is, is this fleshly body. And Paul, in verse 1, refers to it as a tent. The tent, our body, is where our soul lives. It's just a tent. It's made of canvas. It's made of ropes and pegs to hold the ropes. Not very strong, but it shelters us for the time being. It keeps us from the, from the, from the storms of life. It is adequate for what we need right now. It does shelter us. It can endure some it can endure some storms, some rough weather. But the tent has ropes and tarps, and ropes can fray. Our nerves are like, rope, are like ropes. They can fray. They have limits. We have a delicate chemical balance in our mind that can only take so much. There's a certain load that we can carry mentally as people. We have our limits. We all know that I think the, recommend, the recommended amount of sleep to get for the human body is seven or eight hours a night. And if we try to go with less than what we need, we pay the consequences. We end up affecting our whole quality of life. We have our limits. Our tent can only take so much. There's breaking points. Now, if you understand that, it's easy to see, it's easy to understand why sometimes the children of godly parents are diagnosed with diseases or disorders that are hard to bear and even hard to diagnose. Sometimes children have sicknesses that's hard for us to understand. But we live in a tent. We live in, in this, this body. It's, it's susceptible to, un, to, to bad health. And if we understand that we live in a tent, it's maybe not that surprising that missionaries sometimes are on antidepressants. People are subject to, to the frailty of, of the human body. And Paul says this is this, this is called, this is what Paul calls our, our body in verse, in verse 1. For we know that our earthly house of this tabernacle, the tabernacle was a tent. This is what is real. This is, this is the act, this is reality for the Christian's body, for the Christian's life here on earth. We need to understand that. That, this is what is real. There's, there's, uh, there's two, two re, um, reactions, if you will, two opposites maybe to accepting reality, but that, that we tend to that we tend to respond with. The one is the one is just totally ignore it. But if there's a tornado coming across the prairie, 
it's fairly obvious that you need to do something about getting somewhere safe. You can't just ignore it. It is real. It's coming. And the other thing is, in the world we live in, there's a lot of fakeness. There's a lot of replacements with cheaper things. There's a lot of, there's a lot of options, if you will. And for us as Christians, in America we live in today, it's easy for us to get distracted with other options rather than thinking about our own frailty. Rather than being real with about where we are and where we're going, it's easy for us to get distracted with the things the world has to offer around us. The second point under the first heading about having a healthy dose of realism is the fact that we groan in this tent. Verse 2 and verse 4. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. In verse 4, he mentions it again. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that which we would be unclothed, but be clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Groaning is a big part of the Christian's life, according to Paul here. Now we know some of us are enthusiastic campers and we like to go camping. And I'll just have to exclude those of you that have campers, but some of us like tents. And we like to go camping in tents and we put up our tent and we have our campfire and our s'mores and we have, we have a pretty good time. But even the hardiest camper wouldn't think about doing this a year round. If you would, pretty soon you'd be groaning in this part of the country. Groaning is part of the Christian life. And we need to understand that becoming more godly doesn't necessarily change this. Becoming more godly doesn't take you out of this human body. It doesn't necessarily change the fact that you groan. Paul, you would think of him as one of the most connected spiritually. He included himself in verse 4. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan. You might be tempted to think that, well, if I had just prayed a little more, if I had just studied a little bit, if I had just read the Bible a little more, I wouldn't be having such a hard time. I wouldn't be here. My life would be better. But Paul says this is reality. We are going to groan in this, in this life, in this life that we live. Where we're at today, the Christian is going to groan. There's going to be a lot of Hard times. There's going to be struggles. All Christians groan under under some frailty that arises from the body. The third section is as if it isn't enough to live in a tent and do lots of groaning, the tent will be torn down. To tear down a house, you preferably would have a large machine, either a bulldozer or an excavator. With a tent, it's very easy. One day God will slacken the ropes, few pegs, and the tent's on the heap on the ground. It's the reality of life. It's going to happen. Unless God unless Jesus returns before. The apostle uses that picture for a human life. God himself will pull the pegs and that will be known 
as the end of our life or as death. Thomas Boston says it rather beautifully. You don't have much security in this house. In this tent we live in, in this frail world we live in, we don't have much security. Paul uses the word if in verse 5, in, verse, in chapter 5, verse 1. He uses the word if. Because he, was, he understood, he at that time was looking for the return of Christ. He believed that Jesus, when he said, would return, he believed that it could still happen in his day. So he uses the word if because the possibility of Jesus returning before he would die. Christ may return before a tent is taken down. However, we know that for the Christians in the past 2,000 or so years, for all the Christians and everybody for that matter, the experience has been the tent has been taken down. Now, if you recall, the title of the message was Don't Lose Heart. What do you think about this uplifting, wonderful message by now? But it is reality. We are here for a certain time. We live in a tent and the tent will come down. It's it's important for us to have a healthy dose of that, to be real about where we are as Christians as we live here on this earth. If you start out following Jesus and you think it's going to be heaven on earth, you probably won't follow him very long. What will happen is like many Christians, you will go around asking questions. Why is my life so miserable? Why am I suffering? Why is my life so hard? You'll be like the rocky ground into which the good seed is planted and something springs up, but the soil isn't deep enough. Jesus says when trouble comes, the little shoots die because of no depths. If we understand what we're up against here, that our life is fragile, that we live in a tent, not a house, it will help us to hold on. It will help us to to not lose heart. Jesus also says, if any man in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, if anyone to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Denying oneself is not something that comes naturally for us. And I, I dare say it's even harder for us in the, in the country we live in, in the society we live in today. Everything is tailored for the individual to not deny oneself. You have fast food, you have quick this, you have quick that. Everything is on the fly. Everything is now when you want it. You don't have to deny oneself a lot if you, do, if you choose not to and you can live a life here on this earth. But to be a Christian, it's really hard to be a Christian and not deny oneself. In fact, impossible, I believe. It's also really hard to be a Christian if you try mix, if you mix following Christ and your selfish desire. Now, some people would replace that selfish desire phrase with the American dream. In America, we like to, I like to, maybe you're not like me, but I like to accumulate, make a life for myself. It's here. It's possible. Let's do it. Let's see what we can get done. Let's see what we can do. It becomes about us. 
life can't be about life can't be about us. Life needs to be about God and the, and then and and the people around you. And I say that knowing I have not achieved. I have a lot of work to do in that area. But that's the reason folks who mix these two up live lives of perpetual disappointment in this earth. If you if you if you put everything in that basket of eggs if you will, that if your American dream don't work out, then you lose heart. It's easy to lose heart. You will constantly be losing heart. The wood markets might fall apart. The people might stop ordering things. The economy. We live in an economy, I think, a healthy economy. And I think most of us here today in all of in, in all of our um all our business lives have have um re- have been the the um fortunate recipient of a fairly healthy economy of an America we live in where we can go pretty much do what we want and make what we want it hasn't it been that way always even in America and for sure not in other parts of the world it hasn't always been that easy but we we get so used to we get so used to depending on our American dream, if you will, for our encouragement. And then that takes a little bit of a hit here, a little bit of a hit there, and we lose heart. We get a little down. But that's why it happens, is because we have our vision off of the focus where it needs to be. So what is the answer? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 has the answer a healthy dose of realism about what the Christian life is like on earth we need to understand that we're not in a palace but we're in a tent there's going to be a lot of groaning it's in a fragile structure that one day will come down if you believe this it will set a foundation for you to not so easily lose heart it's really important to understand what we are, where we're headed, and how easily this body, how fragile this body is. The second heading for today's message, the first one was a healthy dose of realism about the Christian's life on earth. The second one is a marvelous gift of revelation about the Christian's life in heaven. First one. Paul talks about the earthly house of this tabernacle, it being dissolved. He says, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. The Christian is a person who owns two homes. Currently we live in our tent. Made of pegs and ropes, canvases. But Paul says, you have another home. Not you will, but you have. We have a building of God. For the Christian that's following Christ, there is another place. We have a building of God. We have a place to go. It's not a tent. It's way more enduring. It's a substantial home. No date has been given to us. We don't know when it is. So the obvious question is, what is that home? Charles Hodge was a great teacher from an earlier century, from Princeton. 
And he asked the question straight up. He has three he had three 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 options here, if you will, that the writers in history go back and forth on. Some people have one opinion, some people another. Three possibilities. Number one is heaven itself. Number two is the resurrection body. And number three is a kind of temporary body or intermediate body so that we are not found naked. And Paul makes that reference. Between death and resurrection when Christ returns in glory. The three directions that writers tend to go. Now, Charles Hodge quickly dismisses the number number three, which I think is accurate. Because nowhere in the scripture do we are we taught the idea of a space between when we leave here and and heaven. I don't believe. Now, some of these ideas of how things will happen, um, there are varying opinions, varying ideas. This is where I personally have come have, in, in studying. I, I believe I have come out. So number three is, is off the board. Number two is the resurrection body. But the resurrection for us has not yet happened. It has for Jesus Christ. He has the resurrection body. So number one is heaven itself. Christians who die still wait for that gift of the resurrection body even though they are already in the Lord's pre- in the Lord's presence. Verse 4, for we that are in this tabernacle do groan being burdened not for that we would be unclothed but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. You think of the mortality of our tent here. The frailness of this tent, the fact that it's coming down. But when we leave here we go to life. Something that we can't even we can't even fathom fully. But we know that it's life. It's like moving house, leaving one and moving to another. And we don't have to know everything about how that's all going to happen. All we need to know is when we die here, Christians, as Christians, when we die here, we're going to a better place. Two things that happen. Your soul separates from your body. Is the first thing. There's nothing attractive about that. So I can stand up here and I can, I can talk to, I'm blue in the face about how good it is to die, how great heaven's going to be, and how wonderful we should all be looking forward to that. But the fact is, there is nothing attractive to us. It's God, how God created us. There's nothing attractive about the soul separating from the body. We want to live. God created us that way. And that's why it's referred to as death is the enemy. The last enemy. The undoing of the very nature of what God made us. When God formed us, He made us a soul in a body. God put that together. Death is going to separate that. God made life by knitting together the body and the soul. And it's hard for us to imagine existence outside of that. If you would want to imagine that, imagine shutting down your body. No longer being able to feel, no longer being able to hear, to speak, to walk, to talk. Just conscious, but not able to function. In verse 2, Paul says, 
He speaks of the longing to leave this, this, this body for, for, for heaven. He says, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring. And Paul was a man who, who went through many more hardships than we American Christians do today. So you can kind of understand that maybe we wouldn't be quite where he's at on this earnest, on the level of earnest, earnesty. But if we have, if we're real about where we are and where we're headed, I think we can understand what he's talking about here. Again, in verse 4, he speaks of groaning, not that we would be unclothed, not that we just want to get away from this body, but that we want to go somewhere where it's better. The separation of the soul and the body isn't just a stopping of this life here. It's a moving on to something better. How, how despondent would that would we be? How much how great would the despair be if we only if we had no hope beyond this life here? If death was the end of losing our temporary home, I think that would make us like the animals. But God gave us a soul and He gave us a future beyond this beyond this beyond this life. And I think for that we should be thankful and grateful to God for doing. There is another place that we'll be arriving at. Another home for us. For the Christian brother and sister. In verse 8, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. The second part of this, the first part was your soul separating from the body. The second part is your soul moving into a new home. And we, we make moves here in this earth. We move from one house to another and you know how it is. It takes a while. You move every, you move some stuff. You come back and you move and you move and you move. And it's a process. But when we leave this earth, when we leave this tent, when our tent comes down, we will arrive with Christ for the Christian brother and sister. We will arrive with Christ. Matthew Henry puts it beautifully. He says, Death is considered merely as a separation of the soul and the body is not of the soul and the body is not to be desired. Death, considered merely as a separation of the soul and the body, is not to be desired, but rather dreaded. But considered as a passage to glory, the believer is willing to die rather than to live, to be absent from the body, that he may be present with the Lord. We're going to change this tent. For the building. Change earth for heaven. Change a temporary for the eternal. Change the pain of groaning for the joy of glory. The last thing for today that Paul says, he mentions in verse 5, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God. And we can take a whole lot of comfort in that. There's a lot of things we don't understand about this, about leaving this life and going to the next life. Or why maybe things are all set up the way it is. But in verse 5 he says, Now that he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. We know that when Jesus ascended into heaven, the disciples waited there in that room, and the Spirit was sent down in cloven tongues of fire on their heads. That Spirit, I think that they had that experience that day to make it real to them, and that is recorded for us 
today to understand that this spirit is something real. That spirit is here to prepare us for heaven. To guide us, to strengthen us. It's God in us. It's not, we better get ourselves ready. So much as it's rather that God through the Spirit has prepared us. In verse 5, He also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. And the first part of the verse, He hath wrought us for the self thing. He who hath wrought us is God. God did this for us. In the Old Testament, you've probably heard messages already. Or in the past, maybe you've, you've been in a summer Bible school class where you went through the tabernacle, how the tabernacle was a tent the children of Israel had along, and everything that was in there. And how God, the glory of God, came down into that tabernacle and then... He was there in their midst and the children, of, the children of Israel got their direction from the priests through God. That's where they could go to worship. Today we are that tent. God comes down into us through the Spirit and enables us to live this life here, to dwell in this earthly tent. And He comes down with us. God does that. That, that He can be in us and He makes our temple, our tent, or He makes our body the temple of the living God. It's beautiful how God gives us this revelation, how, how God through Paul gave us the revelation of what otherwise we need to imagine. And there's still a lot that we have to imagine of leaving this earth. But the way, the way Paul puts it here is we live in a tent. We're going to a better place. And God makes it possible to live in that tent. In verse 1, back to verse 1, For we know that our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved. That if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And that knowledge is what helps us when we find ourselves groaning in our tents to not lose heart. If you would bow your heads for prayer. Lord, we come before you this morning. We thank you for giving us this scripture, for giving us your spirit to guide us. We just pray that we could be, that you would help us to be real with life, real with where we're at, real with where we're going. And just help us, Father, to understand our frailty and to understand that it's only for a season. And to understand that when we leave here as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we go to a better place. Help us to look forward to that and to strive to make a difference for you while we live here in this earth. Amen.